Thank you for tuning in to Empress Talks. Today we will be discussing voting rights, the history of voting, and why voting is so important in the black community. Also, we will have businessman, radio host, musician, and the president of the California Black Chamber of Commerce, J. King. So without further ado, let's get into the show. As we all know, this election and election day is less than 30 days away. And I know the younger generation feels that their vote does not count or will not matter. That is not true. So let's get the facts straight. Your vote does count. That is why they are trying so hard to stop you from voting. In the last election, Trump thanked black people for not voting because a non-vote was a vote for Trump. Trump didn't win because people voted for him. Trump won in the electoral college where black people did not come out and vote. And can you honestly say that you want Trump to be president for the next four years? I think not. So let's get into some important facts and a brief history about voting. Blacks were not allowed to vote until the 15th Amendment. And even when the 15th Amendment passed, it was only for black men. Women were still not allowed to vote. Women were not allowed to vote until the 19th Amendment passed. And still, that did not include black women. Black women were not allowed to vote until 1920. And even though these amendments passed, blacks were still only allowed to vote in certain states, the northern states and the western states. The southern states still put in laws such as you had to own property or be literate in order for a black person to vote. But in 1965, the Voting Rights Act was passed and that outlawed all the discriminatory practices that the southern states were trying to use to keep blacks from voting. So you see, our ancestors, they went through a lot to give us a voice at the polls. They fought, they protested, they did all these things so we can have the freedom to vote and vote freely. And just in case you didn't know, 400,000 black soldiers died just for you to have the right to vote. So that's why it's so important for you to go out and vote. And we as the black community, we need to teach and educate our younger generation so that they know the importance of voting and that their vote and their voice does matter. Joining us today, we have a man who started his career in the music industry. He is responsible for bringing us hits such as Rumors, Why You Treat Me So Bad, Situation Number no. 9, and the Grammy-winning song Lean On Me. He is now a successful businessman, radio host, community leader, and the president of the California Black Chamber of Commerce. Please help me welcome Jay King to the show. First, let me say thank you, Mr. King, for taking the time out to join us today. Uh, it is my pleasure. Anything for uh, Black Market Records, Cedric Singleton, and of course you and Rod, the crew. So um, I'm uh, honored to be here. All right. So you've had a very successful career in the music industry and even won Grammys. Can you tell us how you got started in the music industry and what were some of the obstacles that you had to overcome to become the success that you are today? Well, um, <laughs> so I started off as a rapper. Oh. Yeah, I was in a group called Frost. So I, I grew up here in Sacramento. I went to the Air Force. I was in the Air Force for a year, got kicked out after a year for fighting. 
um, stayed in Anchorage, Alaska because I was stationed in Galena, Alaska. And so I started a group called Frost, and then we had a song called The Battle Beat. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to tell you guys, when you, you know, when you make music, you think it's a, it's a hit. You always think. So The Battle Beat, I thought, was a smash, and I really thought I could rap. So now it's time, people, you can take a seat, because we're marching forward with our battle beat. We're storming, we're raging, we're on the warpath. Sucker MCs are going to fill our wraths. We're going to line you up, slaughter you like cattle. There is no way we're going to lose this battle. I'm telling you the truth. I am no pretender. This is your last chance to surrender. The year is now, the month, and the day. I'm Jay, but Mark got something he want to say. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was fly, right? <laughs> so it went double wood. <laughs> you would have heard it if it was good. <laughs> Times too. So um, that's how I started as a rapper. And um, was on this independent label called Triangle Records. And um, an Italian guy and a Jewish guy owned the label. They were managers of, um, of another band. And so they um, started this label with another guy named Randy Rand. And that's how they got the name Triangle. Mm-hmm. And the, my record didn't, uh, didn't do anything. And so I went to them and said, man, I, I want to I do a label. And, um, and um, one of the guys said, hey, who, who do you think you are? What makes you think you can, you can do a label? You, you, you're you a pissant in this game. You know, we've been doing this. And I mean, and he really talked crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, he talked so bad to me, I was embarrassed. And I hung the phone up. I'm from Del Paso Heights. Mm-hmm. I'm small, light-skinned, big natural. <laughs> I learned how to fight before I learned how to do anything else. You had to live in my neighborhood. Can I cuss? Yes. This motherfucker <laughs> just said some funky shit to me. Okay. And so I picked the phone up and called him back. And I said, I don't know who the fuck you think you're talking to, but I'll come over and beat your old white motherfucking ass, you little punk ass bitch. If I ever okay. see your punk ass again, I'm going to fuck you up. And I hung <laughs> the phone up. And then I called him back and, and, they, and, um, and um, his partner answered the phone. And I said, hey, uh, Ron, it's Jay. He said, I'm glad you called back. Let me get Tony. You know, we're going to calm this thing down. I said, yeah, get Tony. Tony came back. Jay, you know, uh, uh, you know this, man, this come. You're fired. Come. And I hung the phone up. Mm-hmm. And then I started Jay Records and, um, and did Rumors. Okay. So, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't as easy as it probably looked to people because people saw rumors and saw it as a hit record. They didn't see the struggle. They didn't see the sacrifice. They didn't see all of the trials and tribulations. And it was a difficult, difficult task. And I really was green in the music business. If I knew what I know now, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have put rumors out because there were too many obstacles. Sometimes our obstacles mm-hmm. is us. Oh, okay. Okay. Sometimes you are your own obstacle. You don't. You don't believe in yourself enough. You, um, if, if you look at all, you, you don't have all of the tools you need in order to build the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I surely didn't when I did rumors. I did not have money. I didn't have distribution. I didn't have marketing. I didn't know anything about these things. Um, but what I had was gumption. And I was okay. fearless. And, um, and I believed in me. And so sometimes those are the things you take. And a lot of people, especially in the world we live in now, mm-hmm. um, the music world we live in now, artists can reach out to social media. They can, they can literally handpick their audience and, and the people that love their music, they can get directly to them. Where before, we're, we're like a shotgun. You know, you've got a lot of 
buck out there. You know, it's going to hit in different places. You don't know where it's going to stick and where it's not. Now, today, you can literally pick and choose your targets. So um, I would say my greatest obstacle in the beginning was probably fear. Um, um, not being educated in the business. Mm -hmm. um, not having dollars to do the thing that I wanted to do um, at the time for marketing and especially for radio. Um, but um, but that was the, one of the greatest things that happened to me because what it made me have to um, do is become creative, um, plug into ingenuity, what you guys call um, street teams and street marketing and stuff. We mm -hmm. created that when we did rumors because um, Prior to me, nobody went to clubs and paid a DJ and sold their records in clubs. That's what I did. That's okay. how I started. You know, you pay a DJ thirty or forty dollars, and in 1986, forty dollars is a lot of money. In 1986, forty dollars is uh, twenty dollars fill your car up with gas. Uh, you got kids. You got milk and cereal. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you and you get a drink at the club out of it. You know, for you and the little broad you meet. So forty dollars is a lot of money. So you pay a DJ forty, you know, thirty, forty bucks, and you ask him to play your record. And um, DJ, you know, get on the microphone. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? Jay King is in the club tonight with his record rumors by the time X Social Club. Mm -hmm. You can't buy it at any record store, you won't hear it on any radio station, but we're playing this club tonight. This is rumors by the time X Social Club. By the way, he's in the back of the club selling the record for three dollars and fifty cent, a dollar and fifty cent cheaper than you can buy it in the store. Right. If you like what you're hearing, you know, please try to have exact change. Okay. And they play my record. So it made me become it made ingenuity. I, I learned that when I had a girl with me, my record sold faster. So I started traveling with a young lady <laughs> because, you know, because if the young lady selling records, dudes come and they buy records. Mm -hmm. And um and that's how I started. That's where my beginning was. It was, you know, it wasn't some, you know, flamboyant, beautiful story. It was a, it was a grind from the bottom. Okay, all right. So, as you know, we are in the, the pandemic, mm -hmm. and we know that it hit the music industry kind of hard. So, how has that affected you as an artist, and how has your life? changed because of the pandemic. Interesting thing about the pandemic. Um, so we tour. Club mm -hmm. Nouveau still tour. We're going to do 40, 50 dates a year. It's a significant amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, we had dates lined up that just went away. And so, you know, um, obviously artists get, if, the, if you're a touring artist, that's concerning because that's probably where the majority of your money comes from. Right. And so, so I, I have a couple of things in my favor. Number one, I control most of my catalog, okay. so um, so I make I get royalties every quarter, mm -hmm. and as do my band members, and um, it just so happens that our royalties were three times more than what we thought they were going to be compared to the last quarter. Oh wow! So that was so was the welcome, it was a welcoming you know deal because all of a sudden you go from having twenty dates, thirty dates on the books. To nothing mm -hmm. and you're like oh my god what are we going to do so you know so automatically um, you know you call people and saying hey our royalty check is three times more than we thought it was going to be mm -hmm. so so that gives you some relief um, and I'm in the stock market 
you know, I'm, I don't just buy stocks, I'm an options trader. So the market fell. So when the market fell, I, I saw it as a buying opportunity. Mm -hmm. So during the pandemic, my um, portfolio grew by 2,000%. So, um, so I, was, I was excited by the pandemic. I was like, wow, you know, because, you know, you, you, um, when you look at Boeing, Boeing is a $372 a share of stock. It went down to 89 bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, you got um, um, Carnival Cruise Line is a $50 stock. It went down to $9. You know, Royal Caribbean is $135 a share of stock. It went down to 27 bucks. So you, so you got all these, so you got all these stocks and stuff that are falling, and just buying. Um, Apple, because I'm an options trader, is where I really cleaned up. I spent about $1,763 on 20 contracts for Apple, and I made $116,000 on $1,700. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, it was um, switching. Mm -hmm. From you know music to business, okay, and um, and and taking the money that I would normally the, the money the three times that money I put it right into the market, it grew my grew my money up, and you know because you can't ever outwork your money, okay, and I think uh, as African Americans, uh, that's what we have to learn. I don't care. Uh, we're so used to working for money, we don't understand that we could never outwork our money. I want my money working for me. I don't want to work for money. Mm -hmm. I make money so that my money can work for me. So that's what, so for me, the, the pandemic was, um, it was an interesting um, uh, game when it comes to politics and financial literacy mm -hmm. in my community. And it also let me know how greedy the world is Wow. How selfish we are as a community mm -hmm. um, and how thoughtless we are when it comes to um, our community and our fellow human beings. The fact that we would buy up all the toilet tissue. Right. It was asinine to me. I, I didn't think that I would have to wipe my ass any more during the pandemic than I would prior to the pandemic. Right. So I never bought, an, I never bought toilet paper during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because I already had 24 rolls or 48 rolls, whatever it was, that I had bought prior to. Um, so the pandemic, to me, said a lot of things about humanity, mm -hmm. about where we are as a country. And, just, and, as, um, and we, as a community, black folks, mm -hmm. and um, I'm not surprised that people hate us because we oh, hate wow. us. Oh, mm wow. -hmm. And I think until we get to the point to where we can be honest enough to call ourselves out for who we are mm -hmm. and who we aren't. And um, not because of what anybody else done to us, you know, racism and bigotry and prejudices and all those things have existed in this land since I've been here. And, and before me, my, my mother and father, and before them, their mother and father. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to white folk right. and the way they feel about me. Mm -hmm. what, um, what I'm concerned about is how people that look like me feel about me and how and how I feel about myself and I think it shows in um, individuals when you see them when you when you look at when you get eyeball to eyeball with yourself and you and you ask you mm -hmm. do I love me am I am I protecting this meat suit right am I taking advantage of every opportunity that I have on the planet when I breathe am I um am I cognizant enough to look at who I am not today, but 20 years from today. 
Mm-hmm. My job for me is to um, educate as many people as I can about financial literacy so that they can. Um, I say to black folk, if money is your biggest issue, I'm going to help you make money so you can take your biggest issue away. Okay. So you can deal with your biggest issue, which is the way you think about yourself. Okay. So you kind of touched on some points. Okay. Uh, so um, the financial part. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, could you tell us a little bit about it? So you already kind of touched on mm -hmm. it um, since you are in the financial investments. So um, now about the black on black crime. So how do you think we can change that? I mean, I, I think, you know, I think our biggest issue is financial. Mm -hmm. So I, and when I think when, when, when we look at ourselves, we see the world against us because we're black. That's not why the world's against you. You're the low man on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. Low man on totem pole is always going to be treated like the low man on the totem pole. If we became financially literate as a community, we'd change 100 years in 10. Just by financial literacy, we'd change 100 years in 10. If, you know, a lot of these youngsters that are out here in the streets, they're grinding. Mm -hmm. um, they're fighting to stay alive. And so when you're at the bottom, it's a mm. fight for survival. Right. So just imagine if we took hopelessness away from them and gave them hope. What do you think a gang fight would look like if a dude is talking about his Tesla stock? And he said, well, how many Tesla you got? Well, I got 50. Uh -huh. You got 50 share Tesla? <laughs> yeah, I got 100. I got 100. Well, you might have 100 share Tesla, but do you have any NIO? What's NIO? Yeah, see, you behind the game, dog. Okay. NIO is the new, the new company. That's a China company that's just like Tesla. It's the, it's the Chinese version of Tesla. It's going to be bigger. I bought it at 363. Mm -hmm. Right now it's trading at 21. All of a sudden you're going to have different kind of conversations. Where are you going on vacation? Okay. I'm going to Aruba. <laughs> Man, I'm in Monaco. What? You know, I <laughs> believe that we would have a totally different conversation because people who live a good life Ain't trying to die. Right. And ain't trying to kill nobody. Okay. So we have to change. So so part of the reason why our young people and why, and you know, um, just so that you know, you know, most crimes committed by a group of people is committed by a person that's part of the group. Okay. So most crimes are black on black, white on white, Asian on Asian, Latin on Latin. So it's nothing knew about the, that part. Okay. What becomes alarming is how violent our crimes are, which isn't new. It's at the, we're at the bottom of the rung, right? Right. Um, and you see brown people the same way, at the, at the bottom of the rung. Um, but that our leadership has never spoken to us about financial literacy. As a matter of fact, if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to say our leadership don't want us to become financially literate mm. because the way they make money mm -hmm. is by your misfortune as a community because most of them run nonprofits. Right. And so, you know, tell me the gang prevention program that really wants to prevent gangs. Mm. Because if, if, if I'm a gang prevention program, and let's just say I prevented the gangs. Right. Do I have a program anymore? No. 
No, I'm not. But if I, but if I can, if I can save Ray Ray and Mike Mike, but Junebug and Little Mo are still out there. See, I can say, I can use Ray Ray and Mike Mike and say I changed Ray Ray and Mike Mike. Mm -hmm. But Junebug, Little Mo, Little Ratchet, uh, Insane. <laughs> you know, I got to get to them. Right. But I can't get to them if I don't get more funding. Right. So a lot of times our black leadership uh, is very selfish and it's difficult for people to say it because it's not politically correct. And so, and then we're not financially independent enough to say it because we have to count on them to get our dollars. I, I, don't, I don't count on anybody for money. I am money. I make money. I know, uh, I know how to wake up in the morning and make my money work for me. And when you have that kind of um, independence, mm -hmm. um, it scares people, especially black folk who need you to need them. Okay. So we have a very important election coming mm -hmm. up. So can you give us your views on why it's so important for the black community to vote, especially the younger generation? Well, because we're the most powerful vote in the country and we don't even know it. Okay. Voting is political equity. So there's two things that we failed, uh, what we failed out, in my opinion, financial literacy mm -hmm. and politics because we don't understand political equity. Okay. We can change every election in every city, in every state in this union simply by voting because we don't vote enough. So we're never calculated in the formula to a large degree at 13, 15%. Alan Warren is a local guy who ran for city council in District 2 in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And by all indications, he's not supposed to win based on the numbers, unless the numbers change. Mm -hmm. So the numbers changed. How did the numbers change? Well, the numbers changed because, um, because the Manners voted. Del Paso Heights voted at numbers they hadn't voted at in years. They were normally at 13 to 15 percent. They voted at 33 percent. And it changed the election he won. Okay. So. We have to know how valuable we are as voters, and especially at the local level and, 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 the, and the, the state level. When it comes to the presidency, mm -hmm. we, um, you know, the sad part about it is that we have to choose between mediocrity and crazy. Okay. Because <laughs> Joe Biden is, uh, and Kamala Harris are mediocre. Mm-hmm. Candidates, they in, in a real pool of players, they wouldn't even be thought about. Okay. Donald Trump is crazier than everything outdoors. Okay. Um, but so when you when you look at where we are, um, th this is where you know the the, the market. Um, Donald Trump has been good to the market. But at what price? Mm -hmm. So I'm 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 an undecided voter. I, so I think people who are for Trump are going to vote for Trump. People who are for Biden are going to vote for Biden. The guy like me, 
who uh, is undecided is looking at all the optics right now. Um, from a financial standpoint, Trump is probably better for me. Mm -hmm. But when I look at where we are as the country and um, representation, I want somebody that, to, that represents me to have some class and sophistication, some style. I want him to be able to articulate in a way that's not going to be offensive to people just for the sake of being offensive. Mm -hmm. And um, if there was ever a time that I said uh, Donald Trump is failing as a president, it was in the last debate. Mm -hmm. And then watching him go through this COVID thing and just the way he carried himself. And it pushed me to the side of mediocrity, which scares the shit out of me. Mm. That I have to choose mediocrity because it's the best choice I've gotten, I've got. And, um, but um, these are tough choices that we have to make as Americans. What Donald Trump proved to me, though, was anybody could run for president. Anybody can be president. Mm -hmm. You or I could be president if we so chose to and did the work um, and, and connected with a mass of people. So there were some good things that happened. And, um, and it also talked about, talked about our process and just how disgusting and despicable our process is. Had Hillary Clinton not um, cheated Bernie Sanders... And they and Bernie Sanders would have been the candidate. Maybe Bernie would have beat Donald, and we and we wouldn't have got so far off base. But mm -hmm. that's not what happened. So um, right now, I lean more towards uh, mediocrity or Joe Biden than crazy or, or Trump. Oh, okay, all right. Well, thank you, Mr. King, for stopping by. You have given us some things to think about, mm. and I really appreciate you for coming on the show. I appreciate you guys for having me. And, um, um, I um, wish you luck and, and great success moving forward.